Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I want you to imagine that you've been asked to write a book, and the book is called Events That Changed the World. Only catch is, you can only choose five. What have been the five events that have had the greatest impact on the world that we live in? What would you want to put in there? What do you think would be the things that have affected everybody on this planet? Not not just a small number of people, but but everybody. Here's a couple that I think have had a pretty profound impact. Uh, Invention of the printing press. Uh, In the late 1400s, Gutenberg came up with this idea to be able to mass produce documents, print them onto paper and distribute them had a profound impact on the world. Uh, Discovery of penicillin was another thing that had a massive impact on the world that we live in. Or go back quite a few thousand years and and we've got the invention of the wheel. But you could add countless things to this list, didn't you? What, What would you put as the five, the most important ones? So it'd be very tempting for us to think that it's just recent events, uh, uh, the advent of flight or television or the mass production of cars or computers, that that's been the thing that's made the biggest impact on our, on our world. But there are still millions of people in our world who will never sit in an aeroplane in their lifetime, who will never own a television in their lifetime, who will never use a computer and probably never travel in a car. So they're things that may impact our lives, but they don't necessarily impact the lives of people right around the world. Well, this morning we're looking at the event in this world that has impacted every single life, every life here, every life in this country, every life that's ever set foot on this planet. It's described in Genesis chapter 3. It's the event that we call the fall 
But before we get to Genesis 3, let me go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and just recap what we saw in there. Uh, Lesson number one is that God is maker and God is king. We saw that God created this world. The, The Genesis account says that there are no other rivals. The creation doesn't come about because of some conflict between the gods as it does in most other descriptions of how the world came to be. God is the one who created this world and he created this world effortlessly. God speaks and creation comes into existence. This didn't come into existence out of chaos or turmoil or battle. It comes into existence because God says so. And everything in creation is good. All the way through the Genesis account, God explains that what he has made is good. And the high point of the creation, the most significant part of the creation account, is when God talks, when God creates the man and the woman. They alone are created to be in God's image, to reflect God in the world. They're given the responsibility of ruling over the creation and that's part of how they are going to reflect God's character in the world. But they're also made for relationships, relationship with God and relationship with each other and those relationships will reflect what God is like in this world as well. But there's one thing that we need to note from chapter 2. Adam and Eve have been placed into the garden God has given them the whole of the creation to enjoy and he has given them one rule. Now, I hope you've got your Bible open there because you need to follow along while we look at this. Genesis chapter 2, this is the rule that God has given to them. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, let's be clear, they have the entire garden to enjoy. There is plenty of fruit-bearing trees for them to choose from. There is just this one tree that they are not to eat from. And it's described as being this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God told them that if they eat from that tree, they will die. Now, if nothing else... This tree gives Adam and Eve an opportunity to demonstrate that they trust and respect God. It gives them an opportunity to demonstrate their love and gratitude to God for all that he has given them. It gave them a chance to show that they trusted God, that they accepted that he is the one who rules over all things because he is the creator. Adam and Eve were made in God's image, made to enjoy this relationship with God. They were made to enjoy their relationship with each other and they were given the responsibility of ruling over the creation. They were made to enjoy the work in the garden and they could show their love and their trust of God by just obeying this one simple rule. So we get to the end of Genesis 2 and we have this picture of perfect harmony. Everything is good. Everything is the way that God intended it. God has his people, Adam and Eve, living in his place, this Garden of Eden, and living under his rule and his authority. Over the past few years, we've become familiar with these things. They're called black box flight recorders and I didn't realise that they were actually orange, all of them. None of them are black, I think. That's quite strange that they call it a black box recorder, but they're now in every commercial airline. And what they do is they record 
all data of a flight and all conversations in the cockpit of the plane. So if a plane crashes, they can recover this well-protected box and get all of that data, all of that information about what has happened on the plane, why the crash has happened. Well, the creation is about to crash and Genesis chapter 3 gives us the black box recording of those events. This is the transcript, this is the conversation that took place that results in the plane crashing. Transcript of the conversation between the serpent and Eve. Now this is not just a matter of someone eating a piece of fruit. This is something far more serious. What we see in this passage shows us what our world is like and what we are like. So the serpent begins by questioning God's concern for his people. You've got it there, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, I got a couple of questions. Where did this serpent come from? How how come this serpent is there in God's good creation? And how come the serpent can talk? They're, They're the questions I want answered. But it's amazing, isn't it? The writer isn't the slightest bit interested in answering those questions. He's not concerned about those things. He wants to get to the heart of the temptation here. He wants to understand what it is that's taken place in the heart of the people that God has created. But the servant begins by raising the possibility that God doesn't really care for them, that he's not concerned about them, that he doesn't have their best interests at heart. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. God said you could eat from any tree in the garden. There is just one tree that you are not to eat from. God had said that the whole garden was theirs to enjoy. But this one tree was the place where they were not to eat. I think the serpent knows that if we can just subtly start to doubt what it is that God may have said, well, we're up and running. We're on the way. So the next step is to suggest that what God has said is not true. Verse number two of chapter three. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. God didn't say anything about not touching it. But look at what the serpent says, verse 4. You will not surely die. You can eat the fruit. It's not going to kill you. So here's the challenge that the serpent's really giving. Do you want to trust me Or do you want to trust God? Do you want to believe what I say? Or do you want to believe what he says? And then comes the clincher. To suggest that God has bad motives in what he's doing here. Verse 4. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that's clearly a lie. 
God isn't trying to stop them from becoming like God. Chapter 1, the whole thing is that they are created to be like God. They're created in God's image. They're the only part of the creation that is created to be in God's image. God's not trying to stop them from being like God. Verse 6, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Do you notice what it says there? It's God in the opening chapters of Genesis who determines what is good, who says that his creation is good, but now the woman is deciding for herself what is good. And the very fruit that God said she is not to eat, she decides is good for fruit and eating. And that's the temptation that they gave into. That was the choice that they made. That God did not know best. That God is not the one who will determine what is good. They decided that they knew better than God. Now, let's be really clear here. This is no accident. This is not someone who accidentally ate something that they forgot that they weren't supposed to eat. This is not an innocent mistake. This is a conscious choice to reject God's authority. They have chose not to trust God and they have chosen to trust their own judgment. They are rejecting the authority of the God who made them. I'm sure that you've had this experience, especially if you have children, you've seen this happen. You hear the crash in the kitchen, you walk in, you see the face of the person who is clearly the culprit. They're looking guilty, but they want to insist that they didn't do it. And they want to pass on the blame to somebody else. It was the dog that did it, or it was my brother that did it, or my sister that did it. It seems to be in human nature to want to blame other people for the mistakes that we have made. And we see it here. Adam and Eve in the garden, and what do they do? Well, first of all, they try to hide from God. Now, I don't know, that sounds like the behaviour of a six-year-old again, doesn't it? I mean, do they really think that they're actually going to be able to hide from the God and Creator of the universe? I mean, what a ridiculous idea. And God speaks to Adam directly. And he asks, as though he needed to ask, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. Wow. Nice move. Good leadership there, Adam. Well done. (laughs) Blame someone else for what's happened. He says it's Eve's fault. So God puts the question to Eve. Verse number 13. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. I'm not sure you're going to get too far with that one. But no one wants to take responsibility for what's happened here. They're not denying that they ate the fruit. They seem to be admitting that they did eat the fruit, but they just want to say that it's somebody else's fault. And the priceless thing about Adam's response is that he's not just blaming the woman, he's actually blaming God for what's happened. Did you notice that? Go back to it, verse number 11. God says, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman that you put here with me, 
she gave me some fruit and I ate it. So he's really saying, you can hardly hold me responsible for this one, God. The woman that you made and put here with me, if anyone's at fault here, God, I'm going to put it down to you. But the fact is, and what we read as Genesis follows on in this chapter, is that each of them will take responsibility for their actions. Each of them will wear the responsibility. They knew what they were doing. This was no accident. They knew that they were deliberately disobeying the God and creator of the universe. And God punishes each of the players involved here. They want to say it's somebody else's fault, but the consequences for their actions will be with them. We're told that the serpent will be destined to crawl on the ground. For the woman, created to be the companion for the man and the, and the workmate with the man, the curse will be that there will now be tension in their relationship. And for the man, who was created to enjoy the work in, in, the, in the garden and in the creation, it will now be a source of frustration. So that's the sad thing when you read through this section here. What was great about creation has now been undone by their actions. How did Adam and Eve reflect God's image in the world? By ruling over the creation and enjoying it. And they reflected it in their relationships. And now both of those things will be frustrated from this point on. The relationship between the man and the woman will be frustrated and ruling over the creation will be frustrating. But worst of all, they're placed outside of the garden. I mean, symbolically, they're being placed outside of a relationship with God. They no longer live in the place that God made for them. They are no no longer able to live in that friendship, in that relationship with God. God had promised that if they ate the fruit of the tree that they would die. They didn't die immediately. But death has come into the world. They have begun to die. Now you may look at the Adam and Eve story and think, well, that's a lovely story, but what's that got to do with me? Well, I want to say it's got everything to do with you and me. This is the story that explains why our world is the way that it is. This is the event that tells us why there is sin in the world. And this is the event that has an impact on every single person born since Adam and Eve. Adam's sin means that every person born since Adam is born outside of the Garden of Eden, outside of a relationship with God. And Adam's sin means that sin is now part of our makeup. And Adam's sin means that death is now our future. A couple of verses from Romans where the writer Paul wants to talk about that event and the impact that it's had in the world. He says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. We not only inherit death from Adam, we inherit sin from Adam in our own lives as well. And then he goes on to say this in verses 17, 18 and 19. For if the trespass of one, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. And then verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all people. 
verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Every person born after Adam is born sinful. Every person born after Adam is born outside of friendship with God. And Adam's blood flows through our brains. And if you don't believe it, just think of the last time that you wanted to blame somebody else for something that you'd done. In a way, the rest of the story of the Bible from here onwards is about God's rescue plan, God wanting to fix the thing that we have done. But can I say, when it comes to understanding the message of the Bible, the rest of what the Bible has to say, you've got to make sure that you're clear about what's happening in these opening chapters. God made the world, he created us to be in his image, created us in a relationship for him, for relationship with him, and the people chose to reject God. See, if you don't get it about sin coming into the world, then you won't see the need for a saviour. And if you don't realise the universal nature of sin, then Jesus' death just makes no sense at all. But the events in the Garden of Eden aren't completely without hope. There is the smallest glimmer, a small pointer to the Saviour that's coming. Have a look at Genesis 3, verse 15. In the curse to the snake, God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a cryptic little verse. But what's it saying? Well, the serpent has done his work Sin has entered into the world, but the offspring of the woman will defeat the serpent. And the story of the Bible, as it unfolds, seems to be about waiting for that offspring to come. Waiting for the one who will undo what it is that the serpent and Adam have done. I've read half of each of those verses from Romans. Let me Fill in the next part of the verses. Verse 17. For by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The work of Satan is undone by Jesus. Jesus is the offspring of that woman who defeats Satan. Sin and death came into the world through Adam and Eve. Forgiveness and life 
come to the world through Jesus.